0: Okay, good afternoon Shanghai, uh, my name is Ted Jadik, I'm the CEO of DNB Markets, Inc., DNB Bank's US registered broker-dealer, uh, I'm pleased to be here to host, uh, I believe it's the final panel of, of the forum um, with, with a, uh, a very distinguished group of international ship owners. Um, quickly want to thank Nicholas and, and, and the entire Capital Inc. team for bringing us all together and uh, hope it's been an interesting and successful forum so far, and that you're looking forward to our panel. Uh, I'll briefly introduce our panelists. Um, Jerry Paulo Girados is the Chief Executive Officer of Capital Products Partners LP. John Dragnes is the CEO of the Goldenport Group. Bob Burke, Chief Executive Officer of Ridgebury Tankers. Aristides Petis is the chairman of Euroseas Limited and EuroDry Limited. John McCouris, the CEO of Dorian LPG. And Hamish Norton, president of Starbulk Carriers Corp. Uh, We we have limited time, so I'm going to jump right into the questions. Uh, And I'm going to ask ask a question that uh, I'll ask several of the panelists to respond to. Um, When we look at the Chinese market today, and with the backdrop, of uh, the pandemic and, and the ongoing trade and political tensions between the U.S. and China, how do you assess the strength of the market currently and, and the outlook for the market from a demand or shipping perspective? Uh, and I'll start with John LaCouris, if you could, uh, if you could address that, please.
1: Oh, John, you're muted.
2: John, there. Um, thank
3: you, Ted. I'm. Uh... Uh, Our business is mainly focused on LPG, propane and butane. Uh, This business has been um, a very important uh, 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 building block in the uh, Chinese petrochemical industry. It has uh, uh, followed very closely the development of uh, PDH plants in China. It has uh, supported the petrochemical industry as well as the retail industry. And uh, propane and butane have been uh, very important to, to China. Exports have been extremely strong uh, for that country from the United States, as well as from the Middle East. And uh, it, we have a very strong growth in, in this business uh, going to the Far East. And uh, I think it will continue for
0: um, quite a long time to go. Okay, thank you um bob would you would you address the same question please sure
2: um you know the u.s trade deal with china is dollar based so you know paradoxically as as oil gets cheaper um the chinese have to uh import more crude from the u.s uh you know that's the first stage of the the trade deal and so far they seem to have been able to stick to it um we we all know that china is two and a half times further from uh the U.S. Gulf, than it is from the from the uh, from the A.G. So there's a real levered impact on the, on the crude trade as uh, each barrel gets moved out of the U.S. You know on the downside we have um, U.S. crude production. The exports this past year have been three million barrels. They, they've held steady, but they're 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 topping out, and all the projections are that um, that will go down over the next year or two. So that will be an issue. There's less and less money going to the oil patch, I and mean, the oil patch is certainly capital constrained. Uh, you know, the permits in Texas are down seventy percent. We all know that the, you know, the decline curve in the, um, in, in the shale play is much much steeper than a traditional well. Spending is down on the, on the capital side at fifty percent in the U.S. Uh, shale patch. So that's going to come off over the next next couple of years, and it's not projected to come back to where it is now for the next three or four years. So it's going to be a, that'll be an issue for us. Thanks. Uh
0: could you uh, also address uh, the same question,
1: please? Sorry, was that... uh, You wanted me to address that question, Ted? No, John John Bragg. Okay,
4: yeah. I'm coming to you. Okay, okay, thank you. No, of course, from from the perspective of, I mean, if you look at it also from the driver's perspective, you know, China is uh, also... tremendous influence and uh, thankfully has picked up a lot of slack from from the decrease in demand worldwide post, uh, post the pandemic. I mean obviously the year started pretty well but uh, unfortunately uh, then, then, uh, then uh, currently a lot of, a lot of the, the West trades were hit and uh, of course uh, it's very key that China uh, kept up the imports especially on iron ore on soybean on grains and that has assisted a lot in let's say stabilizing helping the market to stabilize from the dry bulk perspective Uh, similar impact from the container trade and i think on the on the tanker side has been uh, has been analyzed uh, somewhat from from uh, from bob Um, i think uh, obviously it's you cannot only have china as the engine of the world you need the rest of the world also to start working again in order for the dry bulk market to uh, improve further. We do have some uh, increase in the fleet, but, uh, but it's very, very key that you see that there is more and more uh, going into in terms of imports, especially waiting now from the U.S. Uh, soybean uh, season. Uh, last but not least in this uh, respect, uh, we're, see, we're seeing the uh, inventories go going up a little bit in terms of iron ore and steel, and uh, this is also evident from the fact that steel exports, have been subdued recently, although production is very strong within the country, within China. However, most of the steel obviously is going into infrastructure projects and maybe some stockpiling. So we hmm. do hope that uh, the rest of the world can pick up uh, the slack and help the market improve further.
0: Hmm. And then, Aristides, I'm going to ask you to also address the same question, please.
5: Yes, well, it, it, it's been addressed by the other panelists, uh, both on the dry bulk and a little bit on the container. I, I, I just want to say that, whilst things seem optimistic, eh, because we all expect uh, to see uh, a strong recovery in 2021, this really depends a lot on how the pandemic uh,
4: develops.
5: So it is not. Uh, an easy easy call. It will depend a lot on that. Uh, We are very hopeful, both in the dry bulk and the container markets that uh, that we are involved with, that uh, uh, next year will be a much better year just because we think that the measures taken for the pandemic are are quite good and are going to bear some ground. Um, And of course, the huge disinterest in shipping that we've seen, uh, we've seen, which has resulted in very little new orders being placed. So there is a very, very low order book uh, in dry bulk and the container sector, which we cover, uh, lowest than it has been uh, during the last 20 years, at uh, below 10 percent significantly. And if we do see this recovery that uh, that uh, is uh, expected and hoped for by the whole planet, uh, shipping will have its role, and it will be uh, very, uh, it, it can be quite a strong recovery, something we haven't seen for some years. Thank you.
0: Going to shift to a, a new question: um, How would you describe the financing environment for your business today? And as a part of
5: That's not helpful. Well, you can answer, uh, Hamish. Sure, I will. I will take <laughs> I just, a stab at the question.
0: Yeah how How important uh, is China as a source of financing for the industry, and will it be in the future? So, I was going to ask. Uh, I was going to ask Hamish and, and Jerry uh, to address that.
1: Please. Okay, so I'll I'll start out. Um, you know, the the financing environment for Star Bulk is actually pretty good. Um, Uh, It's helpful that Star is a relatively large company. Um, You know, the the banks that are still in the shipping business are focused on uh, lending to their larger clients. Um, And so we're seeing a lot of interest. um, And we're seeing a lot of interest from China, which I'll get to. But uh, what I think is is, uh, encouraging also is that we're seeing a lot of interest from the four Major Greek banks uh, in lending to Greece based shipping companies um, and so that's that's encouraging but we've done a tremendous amount of business with Chinese banks and Chinese leasing companies um, and you know in quite recently uh, we've done about 250 million dollars worth of sale leaseback financings um, that put some cash on the balance sheet on a net basis, um, you know, which which we wanted to do just as a hedge against uh, potential downdrafts due to COVID-19, uh, which you know, thankfully have have not materialized. Uh, in fact, the business is 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 going strong. Um, so, um, you know, generally positive outlook both for traditional European shipping banks uh, the Greek banks that used to be in shipping got out and are now coming back and and the Chinese institutions uh, which were doing business within high volume
0: thank you and, and Jerry could you could you address that question as well please
6: yeah thank you. Uh, I do, I do uh, echo uh, Hamish's uh, sentiment. I think that um, while we have seen certain uh, commercial banks uh, exit the space over the last few years and definitely fewer new entrants, on the other hand, for large uh, shipping companies that have established track records and presence in shipping, um, let me say that we feel that we, it's not the lack of, um, of money, it's not the lack of debt uh, that uh, uh, doesn't lead us into new projects, it's more uh, lack of conviction. So there is uh, definitely uh, abundance of capital uh, if you meet certain characteristics. And uh, I, don't, I wouldn't downplay the importance of um, reputation and track record in, in the market. But, of course, solidated balances and uh, size uh, matters uh, very much to most financial institutions. Interestingly enough, I think um, when um, the outbreak of COVID, there was the sentiment that uh, potentially capital availability as well as uh, cost of capital would go up. there was a the fear that uh, NPLs in other business segments uh, would uh, drag um, uh, capital availability downwards as banks had to shore up their balance sheets. But uh, I think the massive monetary easing that uh, we have seen uh, has uh, helped a lot. Uh, although I think we're probably at the beginning uh, of, uh, of this, not the, not the end. Um, we still have to see how. Um, a number of commercial loans play out in the real economy outside shipping, uh, in real estate and whatnot, uh, or um, other businesses in the next few months. Uh, because once uh, the let's say um, the fiscal easing um, uh, is rolled back, we might uh, we might see uh, more uh, more issues. But as uh, a friendly, as a banker joked about uh, recently, he said suddenly shipping is the good good kid on the block. Um, Everybody else uh, seems to have much more problems than we have, and uh, we seem to be quite stable, which uh, is not something that you could uh, say easily <laughs> for shipping over the last decade. Uh, and coming back to Chinese leasing, I think by now it's a mainstay of, um, uh, of shipping finance. It ha- it, the product has involved a lot over the last decade. Um, it's now a flexible product. Um, especially if you have assets with long-term charters, but also spot assets. Uh, Importantly also, many of the leasing houses, they have experienced teams, uh, they have built relationships. That's a very important milestone uh, if you want to have continuity in this business. Uh, And I think for any large company, and if you look at the Capital Group as a whole, Capital Maritime, CPLP, the cash business, we have different needs, different types of needs, and it's important to diversify uh, your capital sources. So CPLP, for example, until a year ago was 100% commercial banks. After, uh, if you want an opportunistic refinancing, similar to what Hamis described and uh, uh, a couple of acquisitions, we are now 60% lease financed and 40% commercial banks. So I think uh, not a lot has been changing and it's going. And for us, at least, it's something that it's uh, going to, to stay going forward.
0: Thank you. Uh, okay. Now I'm going to switch to some individual questions um, and I'll start with Bob. Um, what, what, spe- what what specific signs are you looking for um, that will indicate you, that we have a turnaround in the product tanker market at hand?
2: I think on the product tanker market side, we need, um, well, we need more transportation. We need more airplanes in the sky. I mean, evidenced by the fact that, you know, the Seven of us are on a screen instead of flying around the world to meet. Uh, you know, I, I, I haven't been on a real airplane flight in six months, which hasn't happened to me in 40 years. Yeah, and the cars aren't on the road. Um, you know, the refinery runs are down. Uh, uh, the car miles are down. It's just going to take the pandemic coming out of out of uh, the state it's in right now. I mean, it's it's fairly simple. Uh, crude runs are down. The refineries in northern Europe are off. Uh, the refineries in the u s East coast are off, and all those refineries you know are fed by sea by crude so um, they're going to probably go by the wayside or at least they'll shut down for the time being or, or repurpose themselves to a to a, a more of a, a green structure so it's going to be air travel and cars i mean that's that 's what soaks up all the clean oil and that uh, it's going to take mm-hmm. some time uh, we all know the order book is low across the board it's mm-hmm. around ten percent eight percent you know eleven we see different numbers but um you know, I, I always find when people are looking to the order book for comfort, that means there's nothing on the near term horizon that's going to give us any hope. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, that's always, the, that's always a story, right? The, the order book, that's at least a year out before you see the result of that. And that depends upon scrapping, mm-hmm. it depends upon increasing demand. So I think when people talk about the order book, it's a sign that things will be bad for a while.
0: Mm-hmm. Is storage, how important a factor is storage on the product side right now, Bob? Um, it, it is helpful.
2: I think that's more on the margins and it's less for a, a, a long-term type of assistance. You know the, the storage long-term help, help helping is on, on the crude side when there's a big uh, contango play. Yep. And Contango is coming into play a little bit you know again on the margins on, on the crude side because it's not steep enough to have a financial play it's just steep enough to slow deliveries down It's steep enough to keep ships uh, waiting to discharge a little bit but on the mm-hmm. clean side, you know the arms drive it more than the storage mm. and the storage a few months ago was driven by uh, uh, capacity-constrained shoreside more than
0: anything else. Thanks, I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, Euroseas concluded a major vessel acquisition transaction late last year including bringing in a, a new shareholder uh, via a private placement of equity. Uh, and has this has this strengthened the company's platform to consider additional investments? And how do you see the timing of, of, of additional investments given given your current outlook in the market?
5: Yes, thanks. Dave. Yes. Oops. Yep. Yeah. Th- th- thanks uh, for, for the question. Uh, we, we've done two things the last uh, couple of years. The first thing is that we uh, s- split the company into two companies. We separated uh, the dry bulk vessels in Euroseas and spanned them off in another company called EuroDry to create uh, pure play companies. Uh, so we have two pure play companies. This was the right move. Uh, the market does not like... Uh, mixed fleet companies. The investors want to invest in a specific category. And uh, that was proven the day we did the transaction and we spun off the, the company, the dryball company. We had uh, an immediate market uh, capitalization, total market capitalization increased by 50%. So I think this really proves the point that investors want to look at uh, specific companies. They also uh, specific pure play companies, and and uh, I think that they also want to look at bigger companies than the size of our companies, uh, and uh, this is the next bet that we have to grow both of these companies, both Eurosis and Eurodry, into bigger companies. Organically, it's been quite difficult to be growing in this uh, last decade. This last decade has been generally even more than a decade, 12 years, has been a a poor uh, decade uh, or 12 years for for the shipping markets as a whole. Uh, We are at one of the bottoms uh, and we would expect that with this this disinterest in shipping that we are seeing from uh, investors worldwide, not only for the stock markets, but in shipping, will lead to the next boom because whilst I agree, uh, talking about the order book uh, is is not talking really short term, but it's talking medium term, six months, a year out. And uh, I think, uh, Bob, one of the reasons why we had these 12 years of bad market was the extremely high order books that we had up to now and we weren't talking about. So, so uh, we are trying to grow the company. Uh, we are open to discuss... Uh, merger possibilities uh, or drawing in other owners and this is something that we've been working on and we will continue to be working on uh, it's not easy when the stock is trading below NAV but uh, I think this is something that will change only when uh, shipping companies have again a good good we have to see good markets for a couple of, years, for a couple of quarters at least before we see valuations of shipping companies coming back to uh, close to NAV, which would allow such deals to happen. So yes, I can't see any short term actions, but uh, I think uh, midterm uh, things should uh, improve uh, in all fronts.
2: Aristides, I'm gonna uh, just uh, modify my comment about the order book. I think we're in real trouble whenever we hear that the big order book is, is manageable, or we can absorb it. And I think it's really time to head for the hills because somehow (laughs) we've never been able to manage a big order book, it's just a disaster.
5: It's true, we cannot rely only on that. Mm -hmm. We need a good demand. Yeah. Okay, I'm back. Okay. Um,
0: Amish, I'm gonna ask you a question if I may. Um, Sure. Starbulk obviously made a very significant commitment to, to the scrubbers uh, to address the IMO 2020 regulations. Um, at this point, and obviously it's still pretty early days. How, how has that played out for, for Starbulk? Um, you know, in terms of the, the cost savings, the return on investment, the payback, those, those issues, but also in terms of you know expanding or increasing commercial or chartering opportunities.
1: Well, um, you know, the, the, uh, first of all, the, the, the scrubber uh, investment, um, it was a lot of work. Um, there were a fair amount of um, surprises along the way. I mean, these were expected surprises. We, we knew that we were taking on a huge job um, and there were some delays, uh, but we managed to get all the scrubbers installed by the end of the first quarter of 2020. Um, the cost was as we projected, um, it was, you know, just about two million dollars a ship, a little less. Um, and initially the uh, the payback looked better than we had expected um, until COVID-19 hit and uh, as Bob uh, mentioned, caused people to stop traveling in airplanes, to stop traveling in cars, and basically made it very, very easy for refineries to produce low sulfur fuel for ships. And so the, the spread between high sulfur heavy fuel oil and low sulfur um, fuel oil um, narrowed quite considerably. Um, and made the returns on scrubbers um, quite a bit lower, so that um, while um, the sort of spread we were looking at in January would have paid back the scrubber investment in well under a year, um, at this point, the scrubber investment looks like it would pay back in about five years. So, you know, not what we were hoping for, not what we expected, but frankly, not too bad in the context of shipping. Um, You know, a five-year payback um, on a shipping investment is, under normal circumstances, pretty successful. Hmm. Um, And, you know, we we found that it it certainly helps us um, get chartering business i mean basically we've got a substantial cost benefit and it doesn't take much of that cost benefit to get a charterer interested so you know if if we keep 90% or 95% of the benefit and the charterer gets 5 or 10% of the benefit that helps get the business um And, you know, in, in in, that's in the, in the cases of time charters in the, in the case of voyage chartering, you know, basically the ship carries the cargo at the market price per ton and, and the benefit goes to us. So, Um, but, you know, basically the scrubbers technically are working just as we expected. Uh, It's a, it's a technical success and, um, you know, I, I think it will prove to be a financial success uh, as well.
0: Thanks, thanks for that insight, mm-hmm. um, John Dragness. Let me uh, let me ask you a question about uh, the setup of Goldenport. Your Goldenport's the only private company represented on this panel. Uh, well, sorry, Richbury's private. Excuse me. Um, the company was previously listed in London, but but the family took it private some years ago, and I just wondered if you could speak for a few minutes about, you know, your thought process around public to private, and and what do you see as the advantages of being a private company today, private
4: shipping company. Sure, thank you. Um, you know, it was, I mean, today today our group is involved uh, in uh, in dry bulk, as I said before, containers, and quite a bit exposure in product types as well. So. know this diversification helps a lot especially when when you're a private group so notwithstanding that back in late 2006 we we floated the company and we thought it would be a bit novel and went to the main market of the london stock exchange at the time and uh, listed the company with uh, hsbc back then and actually we were extremely happy with valuations extremely happy with the demand Uh, you know PEs were great and the price to nav was uh, strong multiple of uh, price to NAV. So obviously incumbent shareholders were uh, getting a strong benefit. So I will not hide that, that the price incentive was strong back then, combined with uh, a possibility to, to uh, d- diversify the shareholder base and uh, fuel growth. However, uh, many years uh, passed and uh, you know markets were great, things were great, there was a strong demand, valuations were good, good uh, turnover on the share. But at the end, towards the difficult years, and leading up to 2016, where we, the company ceased being private, I'm referring again only to the dry bulk and container uh, part of, of the group, uh, and actually not, not all of the ships, but most of the ships at the time, where, when uh, we decided to take the company uh, back private. Uh, the reason, again, was price-driven. The reason, again, was that, we, uh, especially in London, that didn't, now to be a shipping hub for for shipping stocks, uh, uh, opposite to New York, which became the main hub, and Oslo, um, you know, we, we thought we'd better maybe uh, try to consider to double down, uh, although the market was extremely hard at the time, and put more money on the table and take the company private. Now looking back, of course, because back then it wasn't an, such an obvious call looking back, you know, it was one of the best asset plays we've done uh, recently. And uh, today has helped us establish a very, very uh, decent book value on on almost all of our assets. So Mm -hmm. considering that, uh, you know, the timing, of course, shipping, as I say, is very, very important. However, we intended to stay private, uh, public. I like being, uh, you know, being part of the public company and I like the forums and this and that and the other, but at the end of the day, Valuation really, really wasn't there, wasn't what we needed, and that was a problem. And it was a problem that we thought the timing was good, uh, first quarter of 2016, to uh, to stop uh, with uh, with, uh, with this and hence uh, uh, privatize the company. Um, yeah. Now, you know, I, I won't go into a long story about advantages, and disadvantages. Obviously, when the, the share price is trading well, you can raise money and. Uh, and uh, even be a benefit to existing shareholders and uh, grow faster, but it doesn't work well with shippings counter cyclical uh, uh, investment profile. I mean, you you need to invest kind of cyclical and this doesn't perfectly match with the understanding of, of maybe a public investor. Although now investors are a bit more educated and they do understand that, but again, overall, you know, they like dividends when it's a, a good time and then, We we uh, need need to when you need more money to invest in a company in order to to invest in assets when the market is very low this doesn't work always very well so overall it worked okay for us but I do understand a lot you know the benefit of having a public company and the ability to grow through measures acquisitions like uh, for example uh, Starbuck has done recently so Mm. I do get that as well.
0: Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Jerry, I'm going to turn to you, if I may. Um, you also, Capital Product Partners, also concluded a major vessel acquisition transaction at the end of last year, uh, and, and significantly expanding your presence in the container shipping sector. Is this a sector you see the company continuing to focus on? Um, and, and, and how do you see the investment opportunity landscape currently? Thank you, Ted. We have uh,
6: currently and after the spin-off uh, we, uh, we led um, uh, about a year ago, a year and a half ago, we have currently now 14 uh, vessels, 13 post-Panamax containers, and one for drive bulk Cape I say. So um, I think the container space offers a lot, and especially the post-Panamax segment, of what we're looking for. The business model uh, of CPLP continues to be one of investing in assets with long term charters and uh, giving customer visibility i and i think on the container side especially large containers you are able to find more of that uh, compared to uh, to other conventional segments uh, in uh, in shipping so we continue to focus uh, on uh, containers market there has been uh, has seen a dra- dramatic rebound I remember in May, um, for obvious reasons, effectively global trade came to a standstill. At the time, uh, analysts were expecting a 12% contraction in uh, global containerized trade. Uh, today, is, this looks more like um, a 5% uh, uh, percent contraction. So um, market has rebounded strongly. Uh, be, there were a number of differentiating factors compared to uh, previous crisis. Um, liners could set capacity quickly um, as they didn't have so many long-term charters. Banker prices came down um, and uh, that uh, also helped with um, uh, liners making more money. Um, and we quickly saw also China rebounding in terms of exports. Uh, August uh, saw a 9% uh, increase uh, in, uh, China, in uh, exports uh, from China um, a very compared to last year, actually. So a very strong rebound. So all in know, that market uh, by now has seen a recovery, not where to it, where it was back in January, but it has, uh, I think, covered a lot of lost ground. As a result, also prices, asset prices um, uh, followed, more or less, uh, they did the dip, um, and now we have seen um, uh, asset prices picking up. We do see opportunities um, uh, from time to time. Um, there is de- It's definitely a market where there are not many players, um, and it's a market where you have to be very cautious with design, sizes, uh, but if you get it right, uh, and given the lack of um, uh, willing capital at this moment, uh, you could get, uh, let's say, uh, higher than average uh, returns. So definitely monitoring that, uh, that side of the business. Um, and having said that, containers will remain the main focus, but we also benefit from a relationship with Capital Maritime. Capital Maritime has a commercial and technical presence across uh, dry bulk, tankers, crude and product, uh, gas, um, so, if there are other assets that fit our business model down the line, um, we will look at those as well. In the end, I think the question for us is uh, deploying uh, equity in a, an accretive manner, and you have to weigh projects, the one against the other, and make sure that uh, you are um, uh, deploying your equity
0: properly. Okay. Thank you. John Lecouris. um Propane, propane exports from the U.S. are up year-on-year year despite the U.S. crude production and, and soft natural gas prices. Uh, these volumes, and, and particularly those being shipped out to Asia, are, are, are a main driver for the freight market. How is uh, How is Dorian looking at the, the development of that market, you know, going forward or or in the near term, you know, given some of the weakness in in, in the, uh, the U.S. production statistics that, that, that Bob highlighted?
3: Yes, it's, um, it, it, it has um, been a very interesting um, uh, development that, uh, as we have seen in other markets, there was a significant dip or anticipation of a significant dip in, uh, in the second half of the year, in the first half of the year, I'm sorry, uh, second quarter, uh, as uh, it was in other uh, markets. Uh, and uh, we did see the, uh, the, the, the concerns about production and about exports, uh, and also in um, uh, the output from uh, various uh, um, uh, export um, export terminals. However, we uh, we have seen a, a great return of uh, of that market in uh, in the recent months. Uh, so, uh, we, we, even though we were expecting a, a, a significant drop, uh, we, uh, we saw that uh, uh, the, the, the decrease in output or in exports has been uh, up to date about 1% below last year, which was a very strong year indeed. So, um, in this third quarter now, we expect that perhaps we will go much higher than what we did last year. And uh, production seems to have normalized, uh, so um, we have also an increased infrastructure which has been added during two thousand and twenty and we think that uh, will will help uh, not only from the uh, from the nat- natural gas liquids kind of extraction uh, from the gas stream but also it will um, uh, it, it will mitigate the the potential impact of uh, um, of the reduction of the decline in crude oil production that uh, we, everybody has been talking about. Mm. For 2019 um, um, through March 20, um, uh, we had zero US LPG exports into China. Mm. Once the tariff waiver uh, uh, for for, for U.S. imports was issued by China, uh, we saw a 24% uh, import volume going into China from the U.S. This is a significant uh, turn, it's like a turn of a switch that we saw such a significant change in import volumes. And, um, uh, And as Things normalize, uh, the, the, the propane volumes will continue to increase out of the U.S., uh, we believe, and uh, the new export terminals and export uh, infrastructure is coming online. I think we'll, uh, we will see more product moving toward China and generally to the Asian petrochemical complex uh,
5: mm-hmm.
3: as the infrastructure there is growing because China has done a huge uh, um, um, build-out of infrastructure, uh, PDAs, plants, and petrochemicals, as I, as I said before. Uh, the, the LGC rates have um, uh, remained sub- subdued in the beginning of uh, in that second quarter. However, they have returned to a lot healthier levels in this third quarter, and we look uh, that perhaps they will continue for the rest of the year. Um, that's about what I can tell you about uh, Uh, the increase of trade of uh, LPG towards uh, the Far East.
0: So at this point, am I reading it right, that you're not overly concerned with with declines in U.S. production?
3: Not at this stage, no. Uh, There's actually, uh, we have seen in third quarter and fourth quarter that there's going to be... um, Uh, significant volumes. Uh, The inventories in the U.S. are at the highest they've been, uh, near 100 million uh, barrels Mm. of propane uh, sitting around. Uh, We expect that uh, uh, the production, uh, even though it's not going to be used uh, domestically because of of COVID issues and because of reduced transport, uh, we will see that that volume will be exported. Therefore that will continue shipping being an active part of that export. And um, that's the way we see uh, things moving
0: forward. Okay, you guys are, thank you. Thank you, John. Um, You you guys are doing such a great job. It sounds like we we, kind of have some additional leash uh, uh, here for ourselves. Um, So I'm going to throw out another question and, and just maybe ask people who you know to, to come in with answers if they would like. Um, you know in, in the current in the current environment um, thinking about you know further consolidation within the industry within the various sectors you know is the current environment and, and you know maybe the the um, the valuation issue is obviously important to the to the question but is the current is the current environment with with you know what I guess is fair to say still a fair amount of uncertainty around how the how the pandemic will 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 continue to play out is it does that create too much uncertainty uh for for companies to to consider um, you know consolidation type of opportunities um, anybody want to take a stab at that i
1: uh, i'm I'm happy to start and and say that um you know in in uh the first quarter I think there was too much uncertainty for us to uh, to look at consolidation, but you know I think um, now um, we have enough confidence in how the future is going to play out that we're quite prepared to look at consolidation opportunities. Um, you know, the, there is inevitably a difficulty in in. Closing uh, consolidation transaction when the share price is well below net asset value, but um, you know we've we've managed to do that in the past. Uh, you know I don't necessarily expect it to happen anytime soon, but neither would I be shocked if we if we're able to find an opportunity. Um, it, you know it, it's a question of of uh, you know, both sides being able to deal with uh, you know, an NAV to NAV transaction, for example.
2: Right. I think um, you know, the large M&A deals are, are extremely difficult. Um, they take a long time and they're few and far between. I think uh, more of the consolidation comes from commercial consolidation where there were commercial pooling operations or the, or the large pools that are in existence now can soak up some of the smaller operators or owners such as ourselves. We, we buy and sell ships constantly uh, and we put them all into pools because that's the most efficient way for us. And it also enables us to have the flexibility of selling assets when we want. Um, hmm. It eliminates the NAV issue. Um, it's, uh, it's extremely efficient and it happens very quickly. So I think a lot of the consolidation is, you know, on the, on the down low, it doesn't make the headlines. It's uh, the small operators hmm. going into the larger pools. And has the same effect as a larger owner uh, controlling a large amount of tonnage has the same effect on the market and i think um as the industry matures it becomes almost impossible for a a smaller owner to operate his own ships on a commercial basis and the same thing on the technical side this is a trend we've seen over the past 20 years
5: may i also I add that uh, because we have been looking at uh, consolidating ourselves with other parties, and we were very close to doing something on the dry bulk side, which didn't materialise due to COVID, uh, which makes things uh, has made things much more difficult. There is a, the, this debate on consolidation is is uh, quite interesting. Uh, my, my personal view is that. Uh, even a medium-sized company, a company running 15, 20 ships, can uh, operate very efficiently and compete with the uh, companies that have a bigger, uh, a larger size, uh, a number of vessels. Um, but uh, that, that is regarding all the operating costs, uh, technical advantages, commercial advantages, as, as Bob said. Uh, it, it makes sense to put ships in pools uh, at various points. To be running a, a company which is, you know, like Starbucks, may, may I say, you know, with 115 ships, if you bring that up to 150 ships, I personally doubt that this will create any additional efficiencies. It might even create some disefficiencies uh, because of the, uh, furtherance of the management from uh, the day-to-day operations, but uh, certainly uh, the one place where being uh, large enough is very important is the stock markets, uh, where uh, you, ca- you have to have a certain size in order to be able to compete with uh, the with, uh, bigger companies. Our dryball company has just seven vessels, for example, Starbuck has 115. We trade at a small discount to where to AV, at a bigger discount to NAV than where uh, Star, Starbuck uh, trades. So we are definitely small for a pri- for a publicly listed company. but a public uh, privately listed company with 26 might be, Similarly efficient with a company of 100 ships on every aspect, except perhaps uh, stock market issues.
6: If I, if I may add one last point, uh, I, I do I do agree with um, what everyone has said, um, but I do think that looking uh, ahead, um, the new regulatory regime the requirements of IMO with regard to reduction of greenhouse emissions, the ability to choose between um, the the right propulsion system. Um, Let let me give you a a simple example. If we say that fuel fuel LNG ships is going to be the future, imagine what that would mean for every company that would have to have also in situ gas experts, right? Um, I think that given also the changing regime in terms of uh, ESG requirements, that does not, does not apply only to public uh, companies, um, I think uh, we might see even further consolidation of the type that Bob described. So not necessarily the big transactions, this happened from time to time, but um, a simple example would be what happened in Greece. Uh, 15, 20 years ago, you had 1,500 uh, management companies, now you have uh, 500. Uh, And this is not a kind of consolidation that's being advertised on on the first page of English. If anything, those type of complications or regulatory requirements, I think they are going to gradually push us into more uh, consolidation.
5: Mm.
0: I'll I'll ask another question that, again, I'll have have really for everybody to to, to answer or or comment on if if they would like, and and that really relates to the um, Kind of the operating logistics today in the business, um, which certainly, from everything I read and from talking to people, understand remain you know pretty significant when it comes to, I guess, primarily moving crews um, on and off ships. Um, I'm sure there are other aspects as well. Do you see do you see this um, do you see this being a continuing challenge, are, are things becoming easier to manage? Um, how, do, how 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 would people comment on that? It's continuing. it's continuing. I mean, it's,
2: it's the it's just, it's the crewing, and there uh, the regulations or the rules for each each country, each port, you know, change on a regular basis. Um, the logistics of getting somebody on and off a ship or uh, a crew change is expensive. Uh, they, uh, some of these guys have been out there for a year. Uh, you start to head towards one port, and the orders change. You go somewhere else. Uh, the crew gets restless. It's expensive. Uh, You know, there are quarantine um, issues with the ship itself. Uh, In some places, the ship has to wait until the last seaman is on board a plane and and, and the plane takes off. Uh, People are tested when they get on a plane towards, say, Singapore to change and they get tested when they get off the plane again. So you get false positives or false negatives. Uh, You know, it's never ending and uh, it affects all of us. But um, on on the positive side, it it makes the, the industry less efficient which um, you know, on an overall basis tends to raise rates because there's less time available.
0: Hmm. Anybody else want to comment on that?
3: I just want to add that, uh, uh, to Bob uh, that uh, it is the owner that pays most of this expense for deviation uh, and trying to take care of the crew rather than the charterer. And uh, unfortunately, this is the truth. It uh, uh, could be considered a bit of an unfair kind of uh, turn of events. Uh, However, the the owner has a duty to complete the voyage uh, and to change the crew sometimes may be absolutely necessary for many, many reasons that I, I don't even need to discuss right now. And uh, that's really putting the big onus on the owner to take care of the crew. And we've seen instances where the crew has revolted in certain ships or has stopped ships. Uh, This is, or maybe, you know, the crew has not been paying attention anymore for their job. Uh, That's really the risk of Mm. uh, not being able to take crews off ships
0: easily. Mm. Mm. So continued challenges, and I'm sure that's part of what makes your your lives uh, both both uh, complicated and and and, and interesting. Um, sure. Gents, I, um, I I think we're going to need to wrap up the panel. So I want to uh, thank each and every one of you for your for your contributions, for your presence, and for your uh, for your great insights. Uh, thank you again to uh, to Capital Link, to Nicholas, to Elani the whole team. Um, and thank you, Shanghai. Hope, again, it's been a, a successful and interesting uh, forum. I think we'll, we'll sign it off there. Thanks, everyone. Well, thank, you guys. Thanks. Thank,
5: thank you, you to everybody. Thank you, say from, from my end as well, uh, to Ted for moderating so well this panel, and to all of you for joining from all over the world. I think modern technology gives us the opportunity exactly to connect globally. Uh, and uh, now we can conclude uh, our two-day forum, which has been uh, a highly successful one. And uh, again, not only the attendance, but also the quality of the content and uh, the panelists. And I thank you very much. And now we can all sign off with my tremendous thanks. See you all first soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: See you guys Bye. too. Yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be nice. Take care, everyone. Bye.